and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined, as I am every week, by Mr. Shane Reeves. So, sitting here, relaxing, we're pulling back the curtain a little. We're doing two shows this week, so I'm still enjoying my La Plena from last week and trying to relax and get all my worries washed away and I feel them just leaving me like the smoke leaving the end of my cigar. Shall we issue a programming note to let the listeners know that this is kind of going to be the the par for the course? Absolutely. So due to our increasingly complex schedules and 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 things we've found that the the weekly recording is just getting a little too much. And so We've started recording two a week on the weekends and uh, just to make it a little bit easier and to ensure that we don't have to miss episodes. So most of the time, yeah, you'll be getting, we're recording two at a time. Well, and it's funny because when I, when Monty was, I was talking to Monty before you came and I said, yeah, we're going to record two. He said, well, y'all sit around and smoke another cigar at the end of every podcast anyway. I don't know why you haven't been recording two all along. Darn your fair. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, you're correct. I said, but the the only time Trey and I really have time to slow our schedule down and share time together is on the podcast. It's true. And all because you've got the child and you've got all your stuff going on with that. And I've got a business to run and I've got all of my my stuff going on. And it's one of the benefits. It's one of the beautiful parts of having a busy life. But still being able to make time for things that are important. People say, I'd, the worst thing I think human beings say is, I'll do it when I have the time. You never have the time. Right. You always have to make the time. Although, I mean, case in point is, I, I basically had two full-time jobs this week. So my regular full-time job. And then we decided to do a yard sale this weekend. So my dumbass had the brilliant idea. Now, everything I've said says two-day yard sale is the way to go. You want to you want to have two days just to make sure that you're accommodating to anybody who might stop by. And I was like, all right, well, Friday's going to be slow. The only people that are going to come out on Friday are the hardcore folks. They're going to know what they're looking for, know what they can flip, basically, mm-hmm. and they're going to be good. So I was like, all right, I'll just sit in the garage with my computer and I'll work all day. And then when someone comes up and when I tell you, we were slammed. I mean, we did a ton of business on Friday. Now, I was still able to work and do the, you know, like, but I was amazed at how many, and then yesterday was practically dead. Well, so here's your miscalculation. Well, see, I've, I've heard this, that people on Saturday see that it started the day before, won't go because they think all the good stuff's gone. Oh, no. There are so many fewer yard sales on Friday that people will drive a little further to get to yours than they will on Saturday when there's so many yard sales. Oh, okay. That makes sense, too. So you're always, if it's just this will be in my yard selling for fun and profit book. Um, your Friday yard sale is always going to be a little better attended because people, there's less yard sales out there to work at, people that can't get off work to run a yard sale on a Friday but can run one on a Saturday. So the the core consumer of the yard sale goods is spread thinner on Saturday than it is on Friday. Gotcha. So it's more of a population density issue than it is an attendance one. Exactly. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. And I mean, we did we did really well. We um, and it was funny too because yesterday it was really slow. We did some good, you know, we did some you know onesie twosie kind of things. And um, but then as we were packing up, 
you know, so about halfway through the day, some of the bigger items like my underdesk treadmill and some other things hadn't sold. And so I'm going around taking pictures of everything and post them on Marketplace. And as we're wrapping up, we had already put a lot of stuff in a pile to just go to Goodwill. And we said, all right. And someone pulls up and they're like, you want, you know, I was like, yeah, look through it, make us an offer. You know, we're, you know, they bought a bunch of stuff. They bought a bed that is, was now in its second yard sale trying to get rid of it. So that was, that made me feel good. At the same time, somebody came and got the treadmill. And then at the same time, someone was messaging me about the coffee table we had for sale. So I went, after we finished up, I went and took that and delivered it or met, you know, halfway. So the, the day ended, ended very strong. So it worked out, but my God, I'm tired. Well, you know, sometime I'll put together a segment on the proper production and execution of a yard sale. Um, signage is important. Yeah. Addresses, times, days, that's all yeah. very important. Positioning of your signs is important. If you need them to turn left, don't put it on the right side of the road. Right. Um, there's a lot of things like that. They're just little things people can do to make their yard sale so much more productive and profitable. And at the end of the day, the yard sale is, okay, I've got a bunch of stuff. I can't bear the thought of just throwing it all away or hauling it all off to Goodwill. I'm going to sell it, not necessarily even for the profit, but just so somebody has some skin in the game and I know they ain't just taking it home to throw away. Yeah, well, and th- and that was a big thing. You know, there was a bunch of stuff that we just didn't want to bring back in the house regardless. And so that was the stuff that all went to Goodwill. A bunch of bunch of clothes and a bunch of things like that. And then there were a handful of items. The one thing that didn't sell that I'm really chapped about is this couch that we have. It's a Pottery Barn couch. It was a very expensive couch new. Now, it's got some age on it. Don't get me wrong. We were originally asking 200 bucks for a couch, which is... That's high dollar at a yard sale. It is high dollar at a yard sale, but it's a Pottery Barn couch. And we, we even wrote on there, make an offer. Like, I don't even care. At this point, I'll give it away for free. I don't even care. So it's, it's still up on Marketplace now for 100 bucks. We had a bunch of people say they were interested, in, and, and we all said, made me an offer. I, I don't, like, I'm not married to the price. That's just, it's what it's worth. Don't get me wrong. Right. Because um, good luck getting a $200 couch that's in that good a condition anywhere else. So um, that's the one thing that I had to drag back in my garage that I was chapped about. Yeah, it's, yard selling, having a yard sale can be stressful. Yeah. And presentation is everything, getting people to stop, getting people not to just drive by and do the drive-by of the yard sale. Do you have any drive-bys? Not that many. We did have a few, but um, they were late in the day on Saturday. And it's tougher. My, my, um, my neighborhood's yard sale is this coming weekend. Mm. And it's tough to sell stuff in a neighborhood yard sale because people kind of, they have right. so many sales. It's almost an overload of information. Yeah, although, you know, it's it's... It goes both ways when you're in a neighborhood, though, that like ours, that's a little tucked away. And, you know, you just the more traffic, I think, would have benefited us just because Saturday there wasn't a whole lot of people out. Um, but they always do it on a weekend where we can't attend. And, and so that's one of those things of just like. Well, and the, and the fact that this Saturday, what you want is you want a Saturday that's not the best weather. Because when it's nice weather, people go do stuff they enjoy. Well, and that was the thing. It was We thought we were just going to get sweated out. We thought it was going to be miserable. And it ended up not being that bad. Um, one thing I did do, quite by accident, that I'm actually excited about is we had all of our stuff in the garage behind the golf cart. So I had to move the golf cart out 
to be able to get all of our stuff out. Not really thinking about it, as we're dragging stuff up, I ended up stacking stuff around the golf cart, so it was stuck out. So when I posted pictures of the yard sale, there was a golf cart in the pictures. Now, it wasn't for sale, and anybody who asked, I made sure to tell them, but we did get a couple of people that showed up like how much you asking for the golf cart sorry we had a big sign on it said not for sale it's just it's packed in around it you know right yeah and that's the thing is to block off the parts that are not for sale very clearly because for some reason people looking at ads on marketplace look at the one that look they're looking for something you don't want to sell to buy right and on i guess the reason you don't want to sell it is somebody is it's something with value that somebody would want to buy yeah it, well exactly you know it's I even had somebody say, like, I'll give you $1,500 for the golf cart. And I was like, I've got more than that in the batteries. Right. You know, I, it's um, – and someone saw my tent because my tent is still sitting in the garage from because I haven't had a chance to set it up and air it out since we got back. And they're like, what is – is that a tent? I was like, yeah. And they were like, how much for that? I was like, that's not for sale. It's in my garage. Everything else for sale is on my driveway. Yeah, you pretty much have to put everything in the driveway that's for sale and shut the garage door. Yeah, well, we couldn't just because we would have had nowhere else to sit. But And uh, I didn't want to be sitting out in the sun all day anyway. But Oh, that's where those little pop-up canopies are great. Well, we had that, but that was we had all the clothes under that because that's where people are going to stop and, and, and dig the most. So we wanted the shade so that people were comfortable and f- could feel like they could take the most time. And inevitably somebody asked, how much for the tent? No, no one, no <laughs> one, no one asked for the canopy. That was at least, uh, that was beneficial. But moving forward. So I did get, and I'm going to light it here in a little bit. I got an Epic La Rubia Lancero from Pravada Club. Okay. Okay. Regular listeners show have heard me rave against Provada Club and their business model, which is basically, we'll put out this cigar for one month, and that's all you'll ever get of it. And if you like it, great. And when it's done, you're out of luck. Right. Which to me is a terrible, uh, terrible business model. But they do inexpensive cigars and all. And this is a Lancero. Um, It's created by Dean Parsons of Epic Cigars, exclusively for the Provada Club, made in the Charles Fairmont factory located in the Dominican. Um, the blend remains the same as the standard Epic, which it doesn't tell me, but the wrapper is in Ecuadorian Connecticut and the binder is a Mexican San Andreas. I am going to exert all of my mental energy. Into not judging that ahead of time? Right. Into not, say, not looking for a reason not to like this cigar. I'm going to really try, this is going to be a, a, um, as we're going to speak of stoicism later, the obstacle is the way. And I'm going to try to extend myself to give this cigar a very fair and just review. All right. What are you going to smoke? I'm going to smoke an Enclave. So I I was just in there, I, after spending, you know, 24 bucks on the cigar for the last show i didn't want to break the bank and uh so i just went with a a golden oldie that i know tried and true ecuadorian wrapper cameroon binder nicaraguan filler from the aj factory it's a can't miss every time okay so it's time now we're going to do something we've never done on the cigar cast before we are issuing an edict this this is going to be it this is a now from now on will be a moratorium on articles featuring athletes smoking cigars after a game you know, uh, case in point, when I was pulling together show like articles and, and information for the show this week, I specifically avoided this article because I am so sick and tired of doing victory cigar articles. 
But I will, I would like to add one connoisseur to this, one exception. The third Saturday. The third Saturday. I would like the third Saturday to always be something we talk about on the show a little bit. The Tennessee versus Alabama cigar game, it's steeped in tradition as so much of the SEC is. Right. I think we I think we would be doing an injustice, a disservice, if you will, to our customers not to speak to the third Saturday. And also it's fun to look at the pictures and see what the people are smoking. Yeah, exactly. But here it goes. Everybody take notes because this is the last time we're doing this. Fired up Texas QB, QB Quinn Evers, or Ewers, smokes a victory cigar after the Alabama upset. So, the te- I think, so here's why I think this is actually a little interesting. It's because this game was played in Tuscaloosa. So this is a place where the, the, the victory cigar, it does have some tradition, and he's in their house doing it. And I think that's pretty great. Well, the you know my rooting order for college football, and I and over the last couple of years, used to well, people that listen to the early episodes of the show know I cared nothing for football. But over the last few years, I have really gotten into college football. I enjoy the tradition and the pageantry, and all the things that come with the college football game. So the Texas Alabama game was on September 9th, and. It was the premier game of the weekend. It was the most important game of the weekend, possibly of the season. Um, And Texas coming to the SEC next year, a lot of changes going to happen. This was them saying, okay, yes, we can hang with Alabama. We we belong in the SEC. Right. And they were a a seven-and-a-half-point underdog as well is important to acknowledge. And the, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, the coach of Texas – he is the heir apparent at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Saban offered him $6 million to be his offensive coordinator rather than go to Texas, and he chose to go to Texas because he wanted the, the experience. And yeah. Saban's so smart. He was like, okay, I'm cool with that. I understand that. They're still very good friends. They shook hands after the game. Yeah. And, um, they, and when Nick Saban retires, I imagine there'll be a Crimson Brinks truck backed up to the front door of Steve Sarkeesian's house. I'm sure there will. They'll, there'll be an elephant slinging bags of cash right. out of the back into his living room and say, stop when we've got enough or we run out of room. Right. Or we need another Crimson Brinks truck. <laughs> so I really that would be a great commercial. Somebody mm-hmm. were to put a commercial together of the Crimson Brinks truck pulling up to Sarkeesian's house. That would be great. <laughs> but... Um, Texas won, and they won. Alabama shot themselves in the foot a lot. Yeah. Alabama. Well, they're, they're not the team that we had come to expect in the last 10 years. They're, yeah, it's a rebuilding year. I think, on the whole, this will be good for SEC football. One, it proves that Texas and Oklahoma won't just be interlopers into the SEC. Right. And two, it kind of gives all the other SEC teams this year, hey, maybe Alabama's not invincible. Right. Maybe we don't go ahead and count it as a loss the week that we play Alabama this year. Right. Let's let's work on it uh, a little bit more. So here's that, – that's enough talk about football for me. Um, I don't recognize this band. Do you? I don't either. I looked at the picture and looked closely. It almost looks like a My Father. I, but it's not. But it, it's something – it's a My Father or a San Cristobal or something – a very ornate band. It is ornate. It's not either one of those, I can tell you with certainty. Um, but, yeah, I haven't been able to find anywhere where it says what it is. Yeah, and I looked before you got here trying to see if somebody put, but he didn't put what cigar it was, nope. just that he was smoking a cigar. 
enjoying it. And and don't get me wrong, I'm all for the tradition of having a victory cigar, mm-hmm. and all or having something great happens in your life and having a good cigar to follow it up, things like that. I'm all for it, but. I think these stories keep popping up and they get less and less significant the more of them we do. Yeah, especially when it's usually, you know, the reason that they do these articles is because, you know, cigars and smoking in general is such a a touchy subject, right? So they want the leads because they want people to comment what a bad role model he's being for the kids and things like that. Yeah, they're, they're kind of, they're fishing here. Yeah, exactly. But, all right, we're now done with that. Moving forward. Tatawahe releases details about the Face Redux 3, and this is the new monster cigar this year. Yeah, so after announcing it would be delaying the release of some cigars uh, from the monster series, uh, Tatawahe has now released details about the Face Redux 3. I've got to say, I've, I've never actually had the Face. I've had a, a number of the other monsters. I've never had this one. The best-looking cigar of all of them. The one you could identify as actually being that cigar, because as we've talked about Tatawahe, they're notorious. I have the Monster Mash set, and I never know which one of them I'm smoking. I mean, a lot of them are are pretty good. You know, the the Freddy or the the Kruger, that one's pretty good because it's the color of his sweater. And, you know, some of them try really hard. But, yeah, this one, it uses a jagged leaf representing Leatherface as kind of the band, but it's it's built into the cigar. It's, it's, it's remarkably well done. Well, and you'd put in the notes, are we over the Monster series? I don't think I'm ready to let them go yet. I'm well, kind of, I'm ready for them to expand it. I'm ready for them to get creative and go to more modern of the monsters. Well, I mean, but Leatherface is pretty modern. I mean, compared to the other ones being sort of universal monsters, Frankenstein, Bride of, etc., well, and I'm I'm very pro Universal monsters. I still love the old Universal yeah. monster movies. Creature from the Black Lagoon still terrifying to this day. Yeah, still one of those movies that you watch it and they do a very good job in that movie of kind of minimizing the hokiness. It's it's to me probably my favorite of the Universal monster movies is Creature from the Black Lagoon. All right. Well, no, I guess not so much a matter of whether we are over the monster series, but. Yeah, they said they were going to stop there for a while. And now they I think they realized that they were missing out and came back and it's just yeah, I think I want it's either here to stay or just be done with it. And but I'm I agree with you. I'd like to see you know, maybe come out with a jigsaw. You know, maybe come out with so, something that's a li- rather than just revisiting the same old ones. Or let's let's go ahead and go to Universal, you know, Universal MonsterVerse and do a Kaiju series. Do a Godzilla, a Mothra, a Ghidra, a Rodan. Yeah. I mean, you could do an entire Kaiju series very easily. Yeah, it's true. So I could, I could definitely see them doing something like that and kind of expanding it out. But the Face Redux is going to be... Um, a six and three eighths by fifty six Toro Gordo Vitola uses a Mexican San Andreas wrapper over Nicaraguan binder and filler. And here's something interesting too: is they're going to make five thousand boxes of thirteen cigars, sixty uh, oh, for a total of sixty five thousand. Uh, so of those five thousand boxes, seven hundred are individually numbered, while the other ones aren't. And um, but it's going to be one hundred and sixty nine dollars per box, regardless of whether it's one of the numbered ones or not. I like that. I miss the dress box. Yeah. I like the dress box thing that only 13 stores got the dress box. Mm-hmm. 
they're kind of drifting away from that, getting away from that exclusivity of it. And I kind of like the exclusivity. I like that part of it. But it is now time for me to fire up my Epic La Rubia. So I'm going. Is there any any advice you have for smoking a cigar that you that you don't have high hopes of? Any advice you have that I need to partake of? Prior Typically, to I would this? say start on a fresh palate, but that's out the window. So yeah, that's gone. Yeah, uh, no. I mean, I mean, you're a professional at this. You know how to keep an open mind. Uh, I'm I'm going to leave you to that. Meanwhile, I'm going to go over to the art of manliness. Um, we, um, it's been a little while since we pulled an article from there, and and I was I was browsing today, and I found an article, Latin words and phrases every man should know, and this is a lengthy article. We are not going to go down it. Um, this will probably not be a surprise to anybody. But I love Latin. You know, it's anybody who speaks more than one language, and I'm not claiming to know how to speak Latin, but anyone who can speak more than one language will be able to tell you sometimes uh, a sentiment is best expressed in one language versus the other. Like, sometimes it's really hard to convey what you mean in English, but, you know, the French have a word for etc. And that's how I feel about Latin, I think... Number one, I love the way words are built in Latin. If you understand the basics of, of Latin root structures, you can usually kind of figure out, oh, I bet I know what this word means. Or, you know, or, or, or better yet, it, once, you, once you learn the definition of it, you go, oh, that's where we get the English word for X or whatever. Um, so um, one that I like a lot is... Acta non verba, deeds not words, and you know again I think it's you know we can say actions speak louder than words as much as we want, but I I just I love the I love the fluidity of acta non verba. I think ad nauseum probably gets used more than any Latin phrase in day to day conversation than any of the others. Do you think? I think you'll hear someone who's never spoken a word of Latinum, Latin, Latinum, <laughs> Latin saying ad nauseum fairly often. Yeah, I, I use it a lot. And, and ad infinitum, I use that one a lot too. Um, it's funny, I was watching MASH this week and, I, and Colonel Potter says ad infinito. And I just thought that was the, whole, the funniest thing ever. I love the way he butchers languages. In well, and he doesn't limit it to just one language. No, exactly. It's all of them. Uh, what's, the, what's the line in Hawkeye said? He only speaks Korean and English. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, so I'm not going to go through the... Um, one of the ones that I was surprised to find that my favorite Latin phrase wasn't on this list. And I know I'm probably the only person in the world who has a favorite Latin phrase. But it's post hoc ergo propter hoc. Um, following, therefore, because of. And essentially, it's, it's basically, it, it's a, um, what's the word? Um, shoot. Anyway, um, basically, it, it's, it's satirical in nature, meaning it, it's basically causation doesn't, or correlation doesn't equal causation. But I just, I love the idea that going back as, you know, because we talk about that a lot as, as we've reached a point in our culture where even statistics and, and proven facts get called into question because uh, there's just this, this huge distrust of, of any sort of authority now. 
one of the phrases I hear all the time when people start talking about statistics is correlation doesn't equal causation. And I think it's so interesting that they had a distinct phrase for it all the way back to, you know, 1 AD and before. Uh, but I love that phrase. Uh, in absentia gets used a lot. Yeah. In the absence of. And there's there's a lot of a lot of Latin more Latin I think is used than people actually realize. Well, and that was the other thing I'm going through here. You know, like magna cum laude and summa cum laude. I think those everyone knows are French. And I'm trying to remember. I meant to look this up. Uh, there was a school a uh, number of years ago who had to change their. Um, that had to change their school motto because it was inscribed in Latin in big stone letters across the archway. And um, it was, you know, I li- look, listen, or listen, observe, learn. But in Latin, it's audio, video, disco. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people signed up for that class and was terribly disappointed, terribly disappointed. when they got involved in it. And, you know, back to college football, that is one of the cool traditions in college football where they have that, you know, um, University of Tennessee is the mighty Vols take the field. They all touch the sign. Mm-hmm. This is I will give my all for Tennessee. And I do like that. But I think and I do think that would carry more weight if they did it in Latin. Do you think if that if that was in Latin that it would carry more weight? Yeah, I think it would. Um, what's the, the ad, ad, um, ad victoria means to victory. So that would, I guess that's kind of in line there. I mean, I wouldn't know what the exact Latin translation is for I would give my all, but. Yeah, I think that, I think Tennessee order at least put a sign above it of that in Latin and then put I will give my all for Tennessee in parentheses underneath it or quotes underneath it, something along those lines. But yeah, Latin is a, you know, they call it a dead language, but I think it's anything but dead. Well, yeah, I mean, just look, in absentia, I use that one all the time, and I hear it a lot. Um, obviously, in vitro, in utero, in toto, like all of those words that, that still get used. And, it, you know, I've heard many professors and, and teachers say, you know, understand, learn Latin, because it gives you an underlying knowledge of the languages of today. And And when you start going through lists like these, I think it's so... Yeah, I think it's you. You start going. Wait a minute. That's a phrase we still use today. Or more important, of like, um, ad hominem means you know of 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 man. Right. Because, okay, that's where we get Homo sapien. It's where we get human. It's you know. It's and you start seeing the the building blocks for our language as it is today. And I, that that to me, I think, is so cool. Yeah, and I like it when people make up Latin. Patrick F. McManus. So, the Latin name for grizzly bear is Ursus horribilis. And he said that his um, he is wants to advance the theory of the grizzly cow bovina ribulus. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's I like it when they mix stuff like that. The language is fun. Yeah, this is one that I've heard before, and I'm going to start trying to use in real life. In omnia paratus, ready for everything, ready for anything. I thought it, I thought that was some sort of a classic uh, Catholic blessing in nominee No, you are thinking of it was on this list too. Um, in nomina patri. Okay, that was that was what it was. I like number one eighteen. Montana semper liberi. Mountaineers are always free. The state motto of West Virginia. 
That's a pretty good one. That one is pretty good. Um, what, what was the other one? Um, Febrasuni. I'm not. Basically, every man is the artisan of his own fortune. I'm not going to dare try and pronounce it because that was going off the rails quick. But um, there are just so many. Again, yeah, I think great you pick phrases. I think you picked this article just to hear me try to pronounce some of these words. I, you know, I'm I'm not much better. <laughs> Well, remember, when you can't pronounce something, say it fast and like you know what you're saying, exactly. and people will fall for it every time. Uh, modus operandi. We yeah. all hear modus operandi all the time. Well, and uh, curriculum vitae really just means the course of life. But if you've ever listened to someone from outside the U.S. talk about their resume, you'll, you'll hear them talk about their CV, and that's exactly where that comes from. Now... Um, Premonitius, Premonitius, forewarned is forearmed. I think the English version's better. No, number 154. I think, I think the forewarned is forearmed is better than yeah. Premonitius, Premonitius. <laughs> so, yeah, but I do think a rudimentary understanding of that. This is an article worth perusing, if nothing else, than just to entertain yourself mentally. Well, yeah, it's funny, too, that it came up because I was talking to my daughter last week, and... and we were, she had mentioned something and it was, it was based in Latin and I don't remember what the, the phrase was. And I go, Oh, so like, and basically because of having been through, you know, uh, like medical terminology, which is mostly Latin and, and other things like I've kind of got a, a generic understanding of kind of root words and that sort of thing and able to piece together, being able to, to see or, or hear a word for the first time and be able to kind of figure out what it means, uh, I think is, is such a cool skill to have. It is. Well, as we move forward, um, you know, one of the things I've noticed this week with my wife's family there is a lot of benefit in traveling, in being a well-traveled man. We've never talked about it on the show, and we probably ought to at some point. Yeah. But, you know, I just I went to Vegas, and then I went to Alaska, and I'm going back to the mountains here in a couple of weeks and getting things like that done. And I think having that wide variety of experience, what the Latin made me think of this, because as we're trying to become a more well-rounded man, can you really experience life if you don't travel? Where would you travel to re- where do you think everyone should travel to to really enhance their their journey? Mm. So I really haven't traveled outside of the U.S. as much as I I plan to. Um, although I will say, going going to Rome was incredible, and I think I think going to going to Italy in particular, Rome is so important because if you're a Christian, it's the birth birthplace of Christianity in a way, uh, birthplace of the New Testament anyway, right? Right. And you've got so much uh, of history of, you know, how the, of civilization as we know it now, which was really devised by the Greeks, but perfected by the Romans, I would say. And being able to step back in time thousands of years and walk amongst the ruins uh, is just... It's life-changing. Um, for me, I have intention to go to Morocco. I, for whatever reason, it just has always really captured my interest. The love of James Bond? No, You know where it actually comes from? It is from Epcot in Disney World. And just, it's, there's a section for Morocco in the World Showcase that most people just walk right on by while they're drinking their German beer. And 
But having spent some time there and eaten the food there, it just, I don't know, for something about it, it just captured my, my imagination. Um, some, some family and friends are going to Egypt uh, in September, and I'm, I'm wildly jealous of that. Um, but I want to get to Greece. Well, I just brought that up kind of apropos of nothing. Yeah. It, just, it happened to be something that after our first cigar, my mind starts wandering, so I have to bring it back. I will say the Epic La Rubio... I'm getting that gas station cigar taste. Are you really? And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to. I really wanted to say, oh, this is the one. Mm -hmm. This is the one of their products that I'm actually going to like. But I'm getting that gas station cigar. It's going to be a struggle to finish this in the second half of the show. Yeah, it definitely doesn't look like your typical cigar that you would like anyway. Well, the Provada Club, you know, they they pride themselves on a cheap cigar that the the cheap guy can have a different cigar all the time without having to part with money out of his wallet to a big degree. Yeah. And I just, I just, I don't know. Their blends just don't seem to fall. But this is just, it's pretty bad so far. How's the draw being a Lancero? Okay, the draw is all right. Okay. The draw is not bad at all. If there's one thing I can say about the cigar, other you know, it's burning crooked, but the draw is actually pretty good on it. So I can say a nice thing about it in that the construction seems to be up to par. Nothing, nothing extraordinary, but at least up to par. But why don't we take a break? Yep. Because we're probably going to run a little long on the second one because we're talking about two of my favorite things. All right. <laughs> and we'll step away. When we come back, we have another cryptic corner for everyone, and we're going to talk about stoicism and a new Camacho release. All right. We'll be back after this. back to the cigar cast this is one of your hosts shane sitting across from the man who's going to help me answer an important question trey deadman is it cannibalism if you eat a vegan yes is that still cannibalism yeah that's still cannibalism and i'll do would you do you think a judge would look a little more favorably on someone who was a cannibal that only ate vegans i mean it's i mean that's like being a, a carnivore that only eats herbivores is essentially like so I guess cows and we don't really eat a lot of carnivores, do we? No, very. I mean, bear, bear, but they're yeah. omnivores. Yeah, but that's probably as close as we get. Yeah, there's really no, there's not a, a big. Which I guess it's hard to farm something that's trying to eat you while you're trying to farm it. You know, there's very few good cannibalism jokes. Have you noticed that? Well, just the two cannibals eating a clown, and the other one says, "Hey, does this taste funny to you?" Yeah, I think that's the only one. That might be. I, I don't. I don't think there's a good cannibalism joke out there well-crafted that would give you a good belly laugh because it's such a such an odd thing. I mean, I watched Steve Rinelli on Meat Eater one time eat a monkey, and I don't think I could eat a primate. I don't think I could. That's, I, that's too close. Which yeah. I've, I've always wondered that about fish. You know, there are some fish that are cannibals that will eat of their own species, but, you know, we consider fish as being fish, right? But the vast majority of fish eat other fish. So... Is that technically cannibalism, or is it species-related? I have no idea. We would have to have somebody much smarter than I to decide that. Let's talk about something we do know about. 
Yeah. Camacho Broadleaf goes on sale today. This article was dated September 7th, so it's been on sale for a little while. Probably made it to your shops by now if people have ordered them. It, yeah, if you were on the front lines of, of getting this order in, then it's probably there. You know, it's been, what, over 10 years since Davidoff bought Camacho. And I still love their branding as much today as I did when they released it. They did a great job of rebranding Camacho. Mm-hmm. And with the Live Out Loud tour, they did a great job of promoting it. Yep. And this blend is a Honduran broadleaf wrapper, which is interesting because we don't get much Honduran broadleaf. No, it's usually either uh, Connecticut broadleaf or... Um, uh, a Mexican broadleaf or yeah. something like that. But it's a Honduran broadleaf, Honduran broadleaf wrapper. A Honduran binder and a filler that uses Honduran and Dominican tobacco. So this is the new Camacho that they're releasing. Are are you interested in trying one? I'm, I'm, I am. I am. So, it, you know, and I posted in the notes to you when I pulled this article. If like, you know, I was trying to think of the last time that Camacho released a whole new line, not just a special release or an extent. You know, the Ecuador was the last full line, uh, and that was in 2013, I think. So 10 years ago. And, I mean, the BXP came out shortly after that, which was just a box press version of their existing line. Yeah, It's been a long time since we've gotten a true new release for them. Yeah, and they're, they're a good brand. Um, the problem with the Camachos is they used to be the budget stick. And they're really not anymore. They're up around 12 now, aren't they? Yeah. Now, I mean, this one's going to retail. The Toro's going to be 975 and the Broadleaf Gordo's going to be 1050 So by the time you put your local taxes on it, you're still a $12 cigar. Yeah. Which, again, as we talked about last week, you know, that, that is a budget stick these days. And I think we just have to, we just have to wrap our heads around that. And I don't know if I ever will. Um, but I love the beautiful sort of burnt orange, bronze kind of color that they chose for this. I think that's brilliant. Was the barrel-aged Camacho after the Ecuador or before the Ecuador? Uh, it might have been after. I think I is that think, a regular release though? I thought that was a, a it may have been release. A, may have been a limited release. Yeah, and uh, I was just I was thinking about how long it'd been since I'd seen a new Camacho. So the Camacho line, um, we carry a couple of them in here. We carry the Connecticut and we carry the BXP Corojo because I like it. Yeah, but nothing else is really sold in here in the Camacho. What does Camacho need to do to kind of increase their profile? Is is the fact that they're the the salesmen are more interested in selling Davidoff? That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think Camacho needs. You mentioned it at the top of this article, the Live Out Loud tour or the Live Bold tour, or whatever it was. No, Live Bold is like their their tagline. That put such an energy around the release of the new branding, and then the Ecuador got pushed really hard. But when was the last time you were at a Camacho event? Yeah, been a long time. If ever, right? And I do think that's part of the problem. I think so much of the energy is focused on Davidoff, you know, that that Camacho really just plays second fiddle in the humidor. And it's a shame because I think they are far and away the better cigar. I believe so. I believe they they are better. I don't know that they're better than they're better than Avos lately. Yeah, well they're so different than Avos though. 
Yeah, it's really not not really fair to compare the two of those together. No. So, all right. From the Daily Stoic. And this is a subject I've been I listen to. I try to in the mornings when I'm having my morning cigar and playing a little poker and getting my day organized in my head. I try to listen to a video or two on YouTube of something that'll improve me. Okay. And I'll, rather than just listening to a wrestling podcast or a Bigfoot podcast or something like that, I try to listen to something that I can get a little self-improvement out of. That got a chuckle from the peanut gallery. Yeah, yeah he's, he's walking by and heard me say Bigfoot, so he chuckled. But the um, one of the things I stumbled across from was Stoicism. And I'm familiar with Stoicism, but these were more deep dives into Stoicism. So let's start with what is Stoicism. All right. It's a philosophy, so Marcus Aurelius, one of the last five great emperors of Rome. You have to think about this, and this is kind of what attracts me to Stoicism. Marcus Aurelius was the emperor of Rome in a time when Rome ruled most of the world. Right. And of, he had unlimited resources of wine, women, song, war, poverty, riches, everything. And of all the things he could have chose to be, he chose to be a good man. And he chose to write down his thoughts in his journals on how to be a good man. And I really think that that, it's easy when you're hungry for something that tastes good, but it's hard when you're full. It's like smoking a cigar on a dirty palate. Right. You know, it's, stoicism is one of those things that in, in practice, I, I think it, typically falls short of its intention. You know, I, I remember you were, um, you kind of first got on your stoic, stoicism kind of, uh, th- that train left the station right around the time that you were watching Longmire. And you used him as kind of a good example of a, of a modern day stoic. Probably one of the best examples in cinema. Yes, yeah, you know, he's an asshole. He wasn't yeah. a stoic. I, I think he was far too selfish to be a stoic. What I've, I, without getting too deep in the series, I never seen him do anything that I would consider an asshole move. No, but see the thing with, and this may just be my personal philosophy not aligning with stoicism, but to me it was too much about what was good for him and not about or what he thought was good for others rather than what was actually good for others, and I think. Stoicism, I mean, you said it earlier, it's about trying to be the best person you can be, right? It, it, all philosophy really boils down to that, for the most part, when it comes to this sort of thing. Well, Stoicism, the four virtues of Stoicism, courage, temperance, justice, and wisdom, it's hard to argue with any of those. It's really hard to argue, you know, Nietzsche probably did as good a job arguing with those as any of the philosophers, but those four principles, it's kind of, and Longmire kind of always embodied those principles. That's fair. That's fair. But it's, the modern sort of interpretation of Stoicism is always, is always one of blandness. And, and I think, or, or kind of, not not having or, or, or of what's the word for not having energy? Uh, kind of is, is kind of what I'm getting at. 
Well, and I think that is a function of modern language. I, th- I think so too. I mean, one the best. So the best example of modern culture impacting a word is Nimrod. Nimrod was a great hunter in the Bible, but when Bugs Bunny called Elber Fudd a Nimrod, all of a sudden it became a name for a moron, a buffoon, an idiot. Right. Well, because he was saying it sarcastically. Right, but. As, as people were consuming that part of the culture, it, Nimrod became a derogatory term when, it, when really if you call someone a Nimrod, a great hunter, yeah. that's not a bad thing. So I think that Stoicism and this Stoic has been damaged by a lot of the, the very cultural norm that you're pointing out that, oh, he's Stoic, meaning he's boring or he's bland or he's unmalleable. But at the same time, you know, the, that, that self-control is one of the core tenets of Stoicism, right? But some, and I'm not saying there's ever a time to lose control, but some, there are times when it's important to get excited. And I feel like the tenets of Stoicism don't really allow for that. I don't know that they're, the results of getting excited, of getting angry and all that, are never what you think they'll be. no. But so why why pursue it would be my question. If if the if it's results based, if it's results you're looking for, you'll always catch more flies of honey than vinegar. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not necessarily talking strictly about anger, uh, excitement, um, you know, happiness. Great, you know, Stoics are generally seen as people who are unflappable. Sometimes you need to be flapped. No, I mean, one of the core virtues of Stoicism is to look at the aerial view, to look at the bigger view of the people around you, to look at, for me, to look at things from your perspective. Mm -hmm. You and I disagree on so many things politically, but I can always see how you got to that thought process. I always, now I don't think it works 98% of the time, but... Because one of the things it depends on is other people buying into your philosophy. And I think that's where a lot of the modern and, of course, and the more liberal viewpoints fall short is they say, well, if, you know, electric cars. Well, if we all had electric cars, then they would have to come, they would be profitable to come up with a way to recycle batteries. But you, you're creating a problem and hoping someone else will make a solution. That doesn't work. That's never worked in the history of man. You are going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> let's let's bring it back around. So what is it what is it about stoicism that you find so attractive? I love the fact of stoicism of accepting the things you can control and controlling them and accepting the things you can't control and use and accepting that as well. And all the love of fate are more fatigue to know that whatever your fate is, you, it is your fate, and you can love that. There's a lot of acceptance in that because if you rage against every time someone disagrees with you or someone does not share your philosophy, it, it you damage yourself. Well, it's it's uh, was. What's the whole thing about uh, arguing with someone is a, or getting angry is a lot like wrestling a pig. You both end up muddy, but only the pig likes it or something like that. Right. Hating someone is like drinking poison and it, expecting it to kill the other person. Right. 
um, all you know, great stoic quotes. A lot of these quotes that are in this article, I really like. By the way, I forbid you from ever bringing a novel to the show and calling it an article ever again. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just hitting the high points. Um, one of the one one of the quotes I like from Epictus. If anyone tells you that a certain person speaks ill of you, do not make excuses about what is said of you, but answer, he was ignorant of my other faults, else he would have never mentioned these. You know, and I mean, let me be clear here. I'm not, I'm not opposed to the ideas of Stoicism, and I think there are a lot of practical applications, but I, don't, I just don't think it's an overarching singular philosophy for anybody to try and live by wholly. I think it is. I think it can. I think it improves your quality of life. I think you know when you look at when you start looking at you know one of the things I've been saying lately. The obstacle is the way. That's a stoic philosophy, um, and the reason there's an obstacle in the path is because that's the path you need to go down. You don't you don't get healthier by walking on flat land. You get healthier by walking up hills. Right. And it's proven time and time again in life that more often than not, the obstacle is the way you need to be going. So I do think that, the, you know, just that principle alone makes Stoicism well worth some study and some thoughts on it. And, you know, one of the principles they talk about in Stoicism is starting to journal and starting to journal your thoughts and write them down. And I can tell you that that really improves because a lot of, like my cigar cast notes in my folder, in my phone. Mm-hmm. I keep my notes in my phone, and as I'm walking around, walking the dog usually, I'll stop and write down a thought I have. And then I may look back at that thought 10 days later when I'm looking for a bump joke and utilize it. Now, the cannibalism joke was a poor example of that today, but there is, there's a lot of beauty in journaling and things like that. Um, today, I escaped anxiety. Or no, I discarded it because it was within me in my own perceptions, not outside. How many people suffer from anxiety because they choose to suffer from anxiety? Far fewer, I think, than you think. Uh, but th- that's, a, that's a topic that you and I have, have discussed and debated. I mean, there is, you know, there is no shortage of people who, who feed their own anxiety and their own troubles, for, to be sure. But... Um, I, I guess I guess the big thing for me with people who try and live their life by a singular philosophy let's let's take modern Christianity as a philosophy let's put aside the religion aspects of it if you would and, and just examine it from a philosophy it, it's very similar um, you know it's but it's it's more looking outward than looking inward as it as it compares to to stoicism um but, you know, the, the whole idea that, well, I don't like the way that was, I was going to say that. Well, because I, I was already preparing my argument. Look at the Ten Commandments. Whether you believe or not. Right. The Ten Commandments are a good way to live your life. No, exactly. And it's I guess... Kind of, it's kind of hard with don't kill your neighbor, don't lust after their wife, don't, you know, commit adultery. There's... It's kind of hard to, to argue with those principles even outside of because you might go to hell or you, might, you want to go to heaven or because of anything like that. Just for your time here on earth, living by the Ten Commandments makes it better. No, it does. And that's, I guess, yeah, I just, 
again, like, man, my, I've got him on the ropes, no, folks. No, because I'm going to go for the death stroke soon. <laughs> no, I've, I've I've got about thirty thousand ideas all rushing through my head at once. I'm just having a hard time getting them out. Like, no, but I said it already. Like, I'm not I'm not over here saying that stoicism is a bad philosophy. I don't believe that it is. But, you know, if if you see your neighbor getting mugged, for example, uh, a stoic would not intervene. Oh, absolutely. Courage? Yeah, but that's but but courage in the interest of of justice. You're <laughs> but that's not how it's often practiced. Stoicism is often internalized. Is most often internalized. I don't think so. I've known many Stoics that were very wealthy men that had come, believe it or not, there's a lot of wealthy people out there that have come by their wealth completely legitimately through hard work and perseverance and through helping others and contributing to the good. So I've, and those have been the men that I have known in my life that have been wealthy in a completely clean, conscious way that when they passed away, their wealth was passed back to the world in such a way that it made it a better place. We're Stoics. Would they have said they were Stoics? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, a lot of them, you know, and there, there's a certain humbleness. And I will say that does seem to be one of, the, one of the things you don't find in the Stoic philosophy is a humbleness. There is a certain amount of humbleness that is not necessarily ingrained into the Stoic philosophy. I will, if I had to pick up a shortcoming of a Stoic philosophy. Yeah, I, maybe, that's, maybe that's part of it. I, I, I did see something in here... Uh, there was a quote from Marcus Aurelius that I liked um, and it was essentially uh, oh yeah if anyone can refute me show me I'm making a mistake or looking at things from the wrong perspective I'll gladly change it's the truth I'm after and the truth never harmed anyone most of the Stoics that I have known didn't live that kind of piece of Stoicism it was and this goes back to your humility thing. It was this belief that of of rightness at at the top of everything, and I think that's kind of what I and it's that lack of humility, right? It's that that assumption that I'm right, therefore, and it's oftentimes because of some of these other. But he's he's stating, "Show me where I'm wrong, and I'm happy to he, change." He is, but I'm saying it's not something I see lived out in, in some of the other stoic people that I've known. But can you really blame the philosophy for people that practice it poorly? No, I, I already told you I don't disagree with a lot of what Stoicism is. I just don't think it's, it's the one true path to, to the best living. You know, one of the greatest Stoic quotes in here that's probably more relevant today than it was when Epictus first said it, you become what you give your attention to. If you yourself don't choose what thoughts and ex images you expose yourself to, someone else will. And in our information age we live in, I think that's probably more relevant now than it was at the time that he wrote it. Probably was. Because we have such a vast amount of information out there. You know, we all know the guy that sits in front of the Fox News network and works himself into a froth on a daily basis over the injustices and the wrongs that are being done or 
on the other side, the guy that watches CNN and works himself into a froth over those things. So I think that that particular Stoic quote's probably more true today. And to me, that's the 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 test of any philosophy is is it as true today as it was the day they've written it. I mean, that's yeah. No, I mean that's you look at some other philosophies that that don't hold up, and it certainly adds validity to Stoicism. The fact that you can find you can find application for it in, in modern day. And I think that's, but I mean, you, you can still apply Plato and Aristotle to today too. And I, I think, you know what I think my problem with, like, so I'm going to pull the, hang on. I'm going to pull the show over for a second. <laughs> you are not allowed to bring an article that I don't disagree with anymore. <laughs> Because this is because if I sat here and agreed with you the whole time, it would not go well. So I feel a need to sit here and poke holes in this thing for a philosophy that I pretty much agree with. So that's why I'm having such a hard time is I'm trying to poke holes in something that I agree with just to make good audio. That's what's happening. So if everybody <laughs> if anybody's wondering why it looks like all three of my brain cells took a vacation, that's what's happening. Well. Um Oh, on the win-loss chart of the podcast, please note Shane won today. <laughs> well, the problem is I was only faking trying to lose uh, or, or faking trying to win uh, the opposite argument. Um, and, uh, uh, and now I totally lost. Let's go to the cryptic corner. Jesus <laughs> H. Yeah, let's go to something I know less about, the cryptic corner. <laughs> okay. So stepping away. Oh, wait. No, wait. I remembered what I was going to say. The only complaint, the only real criticism I have with with Stoicism, and this is just me. I recognize this is me picking nits. It's too approachable. If you want to live your life uh, according to, like, Nietzsche or Aristotle, you have, like, it's, it's highbrow philosophy. And stoicism is just too easy to understand. And for whatever reason, that bugs me. The, the easy path you don't like. Yeah. That's, it's just, it's too, it's too easy to understand. It's too approachable. It's the working man's philosophy. And Are that, you arguing against it or for it now? I'm, 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 I'm neither. But I'm saying for me personally, part of the reason I have a hard time standing up and saying stoicism is a good thing, even though I do believe that is the fact that just when it comes to talking about philosophy, I want you to have to have had read something from Socrates to understand it. You know what I mean? That fits perfectly with your personality. That, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm getting at. Like, that, I want the hard road. That, that fits perfectly with your... The obstacle is the way, Shane. No, <laughs> And but, there's no obstacle to understanding Stoic. But you shouldn't principles. be building the obstacle in your way. The Why li- not? Life should present you with obstacles, <laughs> and the, goodness knows it does. Yeah. And then you can work around those obstacles which life presents you. You're proposing construction of obstacles just for the sake of conquering them. Yeah, I'm like Ganesh. I'm the god of creation and destruction. Uh, I was thinking Atlas. I was thinking you were pushing the stone up the hill constantly. No, that was um, Sisyphus. 
Oh, Sisyphus, yes. Atlas had the world on his shoulders. Had the world on his shoulders. Okay, you're Sisyphus. See? Exactly. How many people do you know who can pull Sisyphus out of their head? Absolutely. (laughs) I like taking the hard road. (laughs) All right. Well, let's do our our cryptic corner since I've thoroughly won stoicism. (laughs) So we're going to talk about Dogman. Now, prior to me bringing up Dogman, had you any prior knowledge or have ever heard of the Dogman as a cryptid? I had, I had heard of the Dogman, but I was, I was not well versed in it. And then reading this article or this yeah, essay that you brought um, and, and kind of learning more about the, the spawn of the, uh, of the lore kind of made, made sense why I'd really only just heard about it. Well... And okay, my first question is why do we call it dogman instead of werewolves? Well, from what I gather is that the original like in 1980 when dogman first became a thing, it was specifically say, stated as being dogman and not a werewolf. Well, so werewolf lore has its origins actually in France. Right. And if you think about this now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge everyone to think about this from a broader perspective. If you were a peasant living in feudal France and winter's coming on and you know it's going to be cold, it's going to be harder to hunt, it's going to be harsh weather, and you've seen wolves out there making it just fine and you had the opportunity to change into a wolf. and put That on would a, look pretty good, wouldn't it? Yeah, put on a fur coat become a better hunter, not sink down in the snow, maybe, you know, do it doggy style with the old lady. Um, with all of the thing, the advantages of... You don't know much about France, do you? You don't think that was happening already? More than likely. <laughs> Perhaps a more literal definition. Fair enough. But that's kind of where the origins of the werewolf legend came. And I think that Dogman was established as an American... Right. I, and that was kind of, I, I think so too, is it being sort of uniquely distinct even though the same and in my as i listened to you know i was actually talking to derek the other day and he said you know how much money you could win if you listen to fantasy football podcasts the same amount of time you spend listening to bigfoot podcasts every week yeah but how much less happy would you be oh absolutely i would i would (laughs) would just suck the joy from the bones of my life but much like this cigar is um so a conversation about stoicism. Anyway, <laughs> Move, moving on. So let's talk about dogmen. So actually the true origins of dogmen, which I didn't know till I read this article, came from a song that a DJ named Steve Cook aired on a song he called The Legend. And this was in 1987. Yeah. So this, was, this is a relatively new phenomenon. Now, there are a lot of historical accounts of dogmen. Well, and it's interesting, too, because they point out here, you know, he made up Dogman for the song. It was actually an April Fool's hoax. The, the whole song was all the stories were made up. So he invented the name, he invented the stories, everything in 1987. But what was interesting is that once that aired, people started reporting sightings of the Dogman. And, you know, of course, you know, behaviors and things like this, some of whom went back to you know, well before the song was ever released. And that's where a lot of the historic uh, accounts come from. Yeah, you can't really do a lot of Bigfoot 
listening and Bigfoot researching without running across Dogman legends? Well, similar habitat. Similar habitat. I mean, we have a Dogman legend in Montgomery Bell State Park. That's right, my was, backyard. Yeah, it was actually published by the Tennessean, um, I think it's in the 80s. Yeah. And the Dogman primarily has been attributed to Michigan, and it is a basically a humanoid form, seven foot tall, with a dog's head and shoulders and claws like that. And I'll, um, I'm definitely... I definitely don't think Dogman works. So one of the beauties of Bigfoot is you have Gigantopithecus, you have fossil record of things that point toward that. Right. You have a number of different things, and you, of course, have the Patterson-Gimlin film, which I've covered in depth, and so many more things that kind of stand up Bigfoot as opposed to the more obscure, the Jersey Devils, the Mothmen, and the Dogman kind of all fall into that same realm. Yeah, so Bigfoot stands up as being a other-than-human primate. Right. It doesn't require any sort of hybridization of known species. And those are the cryptids that... And it's we talked about the Loch Ness Monster last week. Again, that one stands up on its own because it is its own unique species and creature and whatnot. Whereas, yeah, the Jersey Devil, the, the, the werewolves in general, Dogman... The, the humanoid hybrids don't really hold water for me, just because there's no, there's no context where we can even get close to that. Well, evolutionary biologists will admit to you, evolution has been proven to be good at refining design, but never at creating a new design. Right. And I think that's the line you cross with dogmen that you don't cross with Bigfoot. Exactly is that for to to embrace dogmen you've got to embrace a concept that has never before been um, pro- been seen in nature yeah seeing giraffes grow longer necks make bigfoot more viable seeing you know seeing some of the evolutionary advantages that certain features have had makes Bigfoot more viable in a lot of realm, whereas Dogman kind of steps across that line. Right. It, it flies in the face of, of known biology and known biologic systems uh, in a way that some of the other ones don't. And I think that's why that this particular sort of brand of cryptid doesn't really hold a whole lot of water for me. But that being said, I have heard a number of stories. You know, one of the stories I heard was from a park ranger you know, a wildlife biologist that shot a dogman in Michigan. And, uh, and you know, they say dogman's bulletproof, and I don't like that part of the legend. Right. But this guy firmly believed he had shot a dogman. He firmly believed that that was what he seen and shot that day. So, you know, and was he having, you know, a bad reaction or food poisoning or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> But I do think that that, that, is, one of, that is probably the only dogman story I've heard that ever held the least bit of water to me. So as far as the cryptid corner goes, I, don't, I, think, I think we can mark dogman off the list. All right. I, I think for the reasons we have stated, dogman's out. All right. Well, hopefully this will be the last cryptid corner we do for a while, but I have I a feeling I, you're going to be bringing a bunch of these back. I can't do Mothman? You can do Mothman. Can I do Jersey Devil? Well, doesn't Jersey Devil fall into the same... Well, Mothman and Jersey Devil both fall into that humanoid hybrid. 
Um, well, actually, Mothman and Jersey Devil fall more into the demonic category. Yeah, see, I'm out on Supernatural, too. You've got, you've kind of, but demonic is a tough, we'll have to, we'll have to okay, breach we'll, we'll demonic do, one day. Okay, we'll do we'll, it as an overarching category of right, demonic Right, I'll, I'll have to do some research. It may be a couple of weeks. Yeah. Because I'll have to do some research into how they, because I've not found a palpable theory of demonic beings roaming the earth. I've not found a palpable theory of that for myself. So I'll have to do some research and see if there's anything in there that does that for us. So tell me about your cigar. I actually never got to my second cigar. Uh, I got I'm, you so tore up on stoicism. Well, you know, that, that Alma Fuerte just lasted until after the break. And so it just didn't seem right to go ahead and, and light that cigar up. I never really had a, had a moment to anyway. So uh, I can tell you the Enclave's a seven. It always has been, always will. Well, the Epic La Rubia is a two. Is it that bad? On a good day. And you see, I've smoked almost the entire thing. I have hung in there. But it doesn't have a good San Andreas flavor. Yeah. Well, it's the, too light to have that yeah. San Andreas. It doesn't look right for that. The Well, it's a San Andreas binder. Oh, Okay. The only thing positive I can say about it, I can say the construction works. All right. It has burned. It has burned evenly. Yeah. It has drawn well. I've not got a bad draw off of it. But the flavor profile on it is just gas station cheap cigar. Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, I'm just going to give it a two, and I feel... I feel completely justified in this, too. I feel like if you had took the label off of this and handed it to me and I had smoked it, I'd have still gave it a two. All right. Now, so one is would, would only smoke it again if given to you by a grouchy third world dictator. And I know three is you'd rather not smoke than smoke another one. What was two? I have to think back. I think two was I'd rather not smoke. Okay. And I think this is definitely I would rather not smoke. I know we've got it in our notes somewhere from, you know, four years ago or whenever we changed yeah, the scale. Yeah, I'm, I'm so. pretty sure, too, is I'd rather not smoke as to smoke another one of these cigars. All right. So that kind of brings it to a head there. So how do they get a hold of us, Trey? He reaches at facebook.com slash cigarcast, Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast, and email info at the cigarcast.com. Well, if you've made it to the end of the show, you've listened to the most esoteric cigar cast I believe we've ever put to tape. God help you if you made it this far. <laughs> and all, and if you have and hope it gets better next week, please have a great <laughs> cigar and think well of us. 